Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. As we've begun Lent, we've begun a new worship series, and each week we're going to look at one of the characters, one of the people in the Bible who shows us something that will help us grow into the disciples of Jesus Christ that we are called to be. And today we start with Joseph, who is most well known for his technicolor dream coat, his coat of many colors, and scriptures say that it was a beautiful coat with very long sleeves, so long that they were not functional, not like my shoes. And this coat made it impossible for Joseph to do the things that his brothers did for the household. They took care of the many flocks and the herds, and Joseph in his very fancy coat couldn't do all of that. And so he was kind of elevated into a management position, because that's what we do with people who can't work out on the ground, we promote them. And so it's very biblical. So there he is overseeing his brothers, and with the exception of his brother Benjamin, he's the youngest. Most of us love being told what to do by younger people, don't we? His brothers did too. So much so that their father's doting on Joseph led to envy and jealousy. And eventually, over time, that turned into wrath and hatred for their own brother. And so they came up with a plan. Let's get rid of him. They kidnap him and they stick him in a hole. And while they're waiting to come back and murder their own brother. One of them says, now wait a second, hold on. Maybe we shouldn't kill him. I mean, it's not like we're going to get anything for it if we kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. He'll be gone. We'll be free and a little richer. And they decide to go that route. So his own brothers sell him into slavery. And it doesn't end there. His suffering has only just begun. He is transported all the way down to Egypt, and there he is sold to a rather wealthy and prosperous man who has many connections, Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, Joseph is a good servant, and he does what he's supposed to do, and he gets promoted because of his abilities and because God was with him. And Joseph was a very good-looking young man, and so Potiphar's wife took note of him. And when Joseph would not engage with her in anything illicit, she framed him for a crime. And so he was sent to prison. And as bad as prison is now in our modern context, it's nothing compared to what was around in Egypt in Joseph's day. It wasn't even about rehabilitation. It wasn't even about punishment. It was all about pain. And there he was thrown into a dark hole and kept for an undetermined amount of time, just so that he could suffer more. And there he grows older and older. His youth is behind him. And God, still with him, gives him the ability to interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets dreams. And others learn about how he can read the dreams and help them make wise decisions. And so when two of Pharaoh's most privileged servants find themselves in prison for having displeased Pharaoh, Joseph interprets their dreams. And all he asks of them is, remember me. Remember me when you are restored. And they don't. They forget him. And again, he languishes and suffers in this prison. 
But finally, word reaches Pharaoh, who is troubled by his own dreams. And Joseph is called upon to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. The ruler of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the world in that day and age, interpret his dreams. And because God is with Joseph and God equips Joseph, Joseph is able to interpret the dreams and foresee a coming famine. And so Pharaoh is very impressed with Joseph and elevates him, gives him great responsibility. And Joseph rises to second only to Pharaoh. And he has made a life for himself in Egypt. He now looks like an Egyptian. He speaks their language. He dresses that way. He wears their makeup. And so when things get really bad back in Canaan and his brothers come on behalf of their father to buy food for the family, which has grown they encounter Joseph for the first time. And this is that moment in a Hollywood movie when we would all wait to hear what kind of vengeance he would bring down upon his brothers. All of that suffering in the scripture can't fully convey how painful it must be to know that your blood brothers sold you off. Total disregard for your life. What kind of lie had they told his father? his beloved father, who he never thought he would see alive again. And they went on about their lives, continuing to care for the family industry of sheep and continuing to grow and get married and have children and have their life and be together while Joseph suffered in the pit of despair. And from this, our scene is set. And Joseph could with just one gesture have them sent to prison, locked, locked away so that they may suffer as he suffered. This is that moment. And they deserve it, do they not? Have they not committed atrocities, the likes of which we could not fathom doing to our own brothers and sisters? And so we wait. And then Joseph does something that probably doesn't sit very well with many of us. He completely forgives them. Not only does he forgive them, but he tells them how he can see God has redeemed their sin. That he has worked out for himself this theology that God has not allowed him to come to ruin, but God has taken their sin, their evil, and the suffering that he has been forced to endure and has turned it into a way that he can bless. And because he can see this, because he can see, and he's not saying that God made his brothers hate him and sell him into slavery. They were going to do that on their own. You don't need God to initiate sin of that magnitude. There are plenty of us that are happy to do that. Instead, he looks at them and he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And the brothers can't believe it. The scriptures go on because they're still leery, like... Does he really forgive us or, or is he just waiting till we turn our backs? Because they can't believe that he would forgive them. Because like all of us, they wouldn't forgive. If it had been them and not Joseph, they would never have forgiven. They were so incapable of forgiving the fact that he was liked more by dad that they wanted to kill him. So they cannot understand this radical forgiveness. Who would do this? Why? But Joseph forgives. And we are called to nothing less than radical forgiveness because it has been a really crappy week. Has it not? Actually, scratch that. It's been a really crappy couple of weeks. 
There's not one window in the back of my house where I can't see the memorial for Christopher Foley. And so every day I get up and every time I hear a train, my blood pressure goes up. And then there's a school shooting. And that makes my blood pressure go up. And that makes my heart break. Because my child isn't yet in high school. And I don't know what that will look like now. And I'm afraid for all those kids that are in high school. And so that's been a really bad week. And this, is, this would be the time where I would tell you a story of forgiveness. And these generally revolve around my sister. Guess who has to forgive in all of these stories? But today, I can't do that. Today, I have to put my money where my mouth is and I have to practice what I preach. Because when I got here this morning, just after 7.30, I discovered that someone had kicked my office door in and had ransacked my office. And I was so angry. How dare you? How dare you break into a house of God? How dare you? It says pastor on my door. That was a room where grace is poured out. I had actually done premarital counseling the day before in there. We were talking about the beauty of covenant. And you came in there and you ransacked my office. Trying to steal my liturgical stuff. I was so angry and I was hurt and I was afraid. And I felt vulnerable and I felt wronged and violated. And then after spending, you know, an hour or more talking to police officers and going through all of this, finally they let me go into my office again and look at things. And when I looked at the things that had been collected to be removed, it was a glow-in-the-dark cross that said Jesus on it and changed colors. Crosses off the wall. My liturgical jewelry. My anointing oil. Why would you take these things? And the irony is that if this person had showed up this morning and said, I want that, I would have given it to you. You don't have to commit a crime if you want something in my office. I will give it to you. And I tried to wrestle with that. What is going on? And I had nothing of value. I mean, it looks impressive, but trust me, it's worth nothing. And I'm just overcome with this, and I'm looking at the things that they were going to take, and I'm going, why would you take these things? They're of no value to anybody. They are symbols of forgiveness and grace. Why are you stealing them? Is it because on some level that you don't even understand you want forgiveness and grace? Is it because deep down in all of us we recognize that there is nothing we need more, more than oxygen, more than food, more than water, more than clothing and security? We need forgiveness. And so I find myself wondering how bad it must be for you to break into a church, break into an office that is clearly marked pastor, and steal my symbols of the cross. And this morning at 9.30, we baptized a really handsome young baby named Calvin. And this morning, as part of all of our baptisms, 
Not only do the parents take vows that they hold and trust for that child to be received again on confirmation, but I asked the church and I made the body of Christ hear these words and respond as they would. Will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? And if so, I said, please say we will. And they did. They said we will. And I think to myself, all of these horrible things that happen, all of these times when human beings enact their sinful inclinations and cause pain and suffering and evil, all of these times, how many of them had that covenant said for them? We pledge in baptism, all of us who are here, We pledge to not only love and care and affirm this moment, but the family and the child and the community. And so when atrocities happen, and right now people are bashing prayer, and I'm not even going there right now, I'm too angry to go there. And people start talking about prayer. Oh, great, they got your prayers, congratulations. What we have to be praying is that God will change our hearts to remember those vows. Change our hearts, Lord, that we will be forgiving people, forgiving as we have been forgiven. Change our hearts that we may change how we interact with others and how we care. This morning, someone walked by, myself and two other church members, huddled terrified next to my car and asked how our day was. And I said, it's been better. And they didn't stop walking and they said, did somebody break into the church? And I said, yes. And they kept walking. They kept walking. How many times have I been that person that keeps walking? How many times have we been the people who keep walking? We cannot afford to walk away from one another anymore. The cost is too high. And every person on this earth needs to understand how powerful forgiveness is. They need to know that you are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are not the culmination of the sins of breaking God's commandments. You are a being of sacred worth, endowed with dignity, and God can forgive you. And so shall we. So shall we. And I have no idea if the person that broke into my office will be caught. I have no idea if I will ever, I may have already seen this person. I have no idea. I don't know. But now I know that Joseph was modeling me. I'm supposed to stand where Joseph stood and offer forgiveness. And right now, that doesn't sound like such a good idea. Right now, I'm very angry. I'm like two ticks below wrath of God mode. It's not pretty. But later on, when worship is over, 
I will go back into an office suite that was rummaged through and thrown apart. And I will take stock of what I have. And I will continue praying what I've been praying since 930. Thank you, God, that it wasn't worse. Thank you that no one was hurt. Thank you that no one was killed. And thank you that of all the things I have, they could not take what was most precious to me, and that is you. They could not take that. And so my job is to make sure that I give it, that we give our most precious things away. Forgiveness and love, grace, and our God are the most precious things in this world. Everything else can be melted, can be destroyed, can be obliterated, but not those. And when this entire world has passed away, forgiveness, grace, love, and God will stand. And my prayer is that I will have learned to give them as freely as they are needed. And that is what we need to do. When I baptized Calvin this morning, I promised him that he was coming into a community of believers. And he didn't understand that, and he was chewing on my bracelet, and he was grateful the water was warm at that time. But God heard and saw, and his family, they heard and they saw, and the body of Christ heard and they saw. And one day, when Calvin does something silly and he makes a mistake, I hope and I pray that someone who has been forgiven by Jesus Christ and knows how meaningful that is will be in a position of power and authority to forgive him too. And I don't know that there is any greater call to us in this day and in this age than to learn how to forgive and raise children to do the same. The cost is very high. Because without the lens of Jesus Christ, I would be a blithering idiot right now. It is not easy to look out my house. It is not easy to look at the news. And right now, I can't even be in my office. But by the grace of God, I can be here with you. And I know that there are people who need that even more desperately than I. So let us strive, commit, and endure what it means to live out what Joseph did. He swallowed his pride. He admitted who he was. He made himself vulnerable to them again. Because even though they could no longer lay hands on him, they could still reject him. And for the sake of forgiveness, he left himself completely open and vulnerable. And he forgave them. And we are here as spiritual descendants of Joseph. And it's our prayer that in our spiritual DNA is that radical forgiveness that we too can do such. And only by this will we raise a generation who will not cling to violence. Will we create communities where people in need don't have to be ashamed and resort to theft? Will we create a community where people 
can be truly forgiven, loved, and free. I have never felt the imperative of that need more than this day. Let us love. May that be the legacy of every single one of us who are so fortunate to be gathered into God's house this day and feel grace all around. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.